What's up, Poison Pals? Welcome back to another episode of That Shit Is Poison <laughs> with myself, Megan Gesner, and hey, myself, Harini Bot. <laughs> and today we have a super awesome special guest, and I'm so excited, so, so excited to have him on because Poison Pals, he's actually been right there beside us the whole time. <laughs> You just have never heard or seen him. But today we have Brayden Griffith on the call with us. Brayden is our editor slash co-producer. And what a title. He's, <laughs> yes. And good friend of ours. Brayden and I used to work at the same fencing club together, being coaches to the little children learning so to cute. fence. And Brayden has just been such an awesome addition to our team. Mm -hmm. um, actually, like you were an early addition to our team, the yeah. <laughs> trio. But he's been just such a treat and Absolutely. Um, such a team player when we send in our late, late ass <laughs> recordings for him to edit. Um, Brayden's been awesome. Brayden, I want to turn it over to you if you want to share anything else about yourself or what you're into currently and then we can like go into the topic of interest do you want to give yourself an introduction i thought that was actually qu quite good um i <laughs> okay. like the title you gave me and, and uh, <laughs> yeah i'm happy to be part of the team so thanks awesome awesome, awesome. well welcome so so we have brayden on today because uh two episodes ago we talked about burn pits and mm -hmm. for those of you who didn't tune into the burn pit episode burn pits to me or how i see them it's kind of like this unspoken problem that's not really on the radar for a lot of people in the country unless you are specifically a veteran or someone who did military service or someone who is involved in that community or is a family member when we did this episode and we turned our recording into Brayden, Brayden sent me a text that actually I didn't expect, but it really took, it took me a moment to process it. Brayden sent me a text saying, hey, you know, thanks so much for doing this episode. My father actually passed away as a result of burn pits and exposure to burn pits. Harini and I, honestly, Brayden, so I'm just being transparent towards, towards you. We were super shocked because of the proximity you know yeah. we had just done this episode out of our own interest and education and we find out that literally our co-producer has been impacted by this so mm -hmm. we wanted to invite Brayden on today to tell us a little bit more about his experience with dealing with the impacts of burn pits and how that can affect family and what that's like to go through on the other end once someone comes back from service or mm -hmm. um as a civilian. So context there, Brayden, you had told me your father wasn't actually in military service. He was a contracted civilian out in, where was he stationed? Yeah. So my dad wasn't military at the time. He was working for a company that had a government contract. So they would send him wherever they needed. He was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia in 2015, but about three years Prior to that is when he started traveling to the Middle East. And so it. it was either 2012 or 2013 was when he first got exposed to the burn pits. And I think the first base he was at with a burn pit was uh, Kabul, Afghanistan. Yeah. He so... went to a bunch of other ones, Kandahar and other bases in the, the Middle East. 
Mm-hmm. It's hard mm-hmm. to track when he was like first got exposed to like leukemia cancer, but yeah, it was about 2012, 2013 was when he first got exposed to a burn pit. I see. Got it. Can I ask and or are you allowed to say what type of government government contracted work was he doing out there? Oh man, I actually don't know if I can. <laughs> you don't say it if you don't. Yeah, don't say, say it if you if can't. Doubt, say it. Yeah, like I don't want to get well, you in trouble. <laughs> I don't know. There's a, he, he was working for Northrop Grumman, and Northrop Grumman does mm, a lot okay. of uh, security work, like for the Air Force. They mm-hmm. they're the ones that like secure like the cameras to the the planes and drones. But yeah, so so he was he was working for Northrop at the time. Okay. Got it. Interesting. So you said that he was diagnosed in 2015, but was out there three years prior. How long was he contracted for? Or was it kind of like a go out there and come Mm -hmm. back sort of situation from 2013 to 2015? Well, his job traveling overseas actually goes back to like 2008, 2009. And yeah, so he would for since like 2008... To 2013, 2012, 2013, he was in Africa and he was just doing the same kind of work there. He was working on the planes at the Air Force bases and, you know, doing whatever it was he was doing. But they didn't have burn pits because it was in like a kind of a suburban-ish area, part of like uh, yeah. Africa. Mm-hmm. And he would be gone for three months and then come back for a week and then be gone for three months and then come back for a week. Wow. So that was just, you know, his job. It, it was until like mm-hmm. he like wanted to like quit or whatever, and he was just contracted to do that. Wow. So, can you tell us about the lead up to his diagnosis, if you're comfortable with that? Yeah, he, because he'd been gone for like three months. I'm oh, sorry, for like three years in like the Middle East. He was trying to lose weight, and then he was like going to the gym and eating military food, which isn't like super high in carbs or like fat or anything. So he was losing weight. And he was like complaining of like a shoulder issue. We didn't really expect like anything other than like he was just working out and like was losing weight and then like hurt his shoulder mm-hmm. lifting weights or something. Mm-hmm. And then when he came back, it was April 2nd, 2015. I remember the day. I'm sorry. Actually, he came back April 1st and then got diagnosed April 2nd. But when he came, oh, wow. yeah, April 1st, when he came back, he had lost a lot of weight. Like he was very skinny and my mom was like you know like I get it you've been working out but like what's going on like are you starving yourself he's like right. no just I've lost a lot of weight and so we, we were kind of like okay like that's okay the next day April 2nd they went golfing he like hurt his back really bad so they took him to the hospital that was nearby and they did blood work and they were like yeah you know you've got leukemia wow wow yeah, and it, it all happened very quick from like, oh, yay, my dad's coming back to now my dad's yeah. not going back to the Middle East yeah. again, you know? How old was he and how old were you when he was diagnosed? I was 14 when he was diagnosed and I th- he was early 50s. I want to say he was 50 or 51 okay. Yeah, when he yes. was diagnosed. Yeah, Both so he, young. he was pretty yeah. young. Both young. Yeah, I mean, very young. Yeah, absolutely. And just sorry, Brady, to just quickly go back to um, how long your dad was stationed. It seems like for his other job in Africa, he was going for three months, come back for a week. Was it a similar situation when he went to the Middle East or was he consistently there for the three years? 
it was like three months on and then like two or three weeks off three months on so but it was a very short time he was actually here Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gotcha it's very difficult yeah i mean i was freshman and it it sucked because like yeah he, he had told us about the burn pits and like you know when i was a kid i was like yeah you know how else are you gonna, you know, dispose of your trash? Right. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my dad wasn't military. My my dad was yeah. civilian. This company, you know, was putting him on a base without like the proper safety that he needed, and it just yeah. even for military, yeah. like it, I don't know, protect your folks. Yeah. You know? And no, and you completely. You said that he was mostly working on air force craft or aircraft or like w- working with the air force side of the military. Yeah, he was an airplane mechanic. Okay. At least that's what um, he told me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, um, if I recall from the sources that I pulled for our first burn pit episode, there was something in a study that said, like, folks who... I want to make sure I get this right, but I'm pretty confident it was, like, folks who were involved specifically with the Air Force, their proximity to burn pits was, like, actually closer to that compared to... Mm-hmm. Um, military or army barracks sort of thing and so folks who were part of the air force or worked with the air force actually had more exposure to burn pits so i was just wondering if that's there's a connection there or like if that's like this is an anecdotal connection to that study that would make sense because i know my dad was talking about the kandahar burn pit the base on the kandahar i'm sorry the burn pit on the kandahar air force base he was saying that it was like really close to the runway and close to the hangars and stuff. And it was like, right. It was like a corner from his tent. So like, especially this, this base, I I can't speak for the other ones, but I know like his living facilities were tents. They weren't like houses or like structures. They were just tents. So it was easy for like the air and the smell and the pollution and everything to get into to them, like while they're sleeping or whatnot. So so at least for Kandahar, I know that there is probably some correlation to, to the, the job you have and your exposure yeah. to it. But I can't speak for the other bases and, and the other jobs there. So your father had spoken about burn pits to you. Do you recall any further description besides like, you know, I'm living in this tent near the runway, which is near this massive garbage fire right or like did he ever talk to you about what went into the burn pits or did he ever mm-hmm. when he spoke to you about them did he ever express concern about them or was he just like this is matter of fact like this is what i witness out there and it is what it is so i actually didn't really know about the burn pits until after he was diagnosed and okay. the the doctors were mm-hmm. like oh you know like what is what could have done this and he was like okay i was stationed overseas and they burned their trash and so he didn't really speak mm. to me i was 14 at the time i had yeah you know things going on right but so after you know he was diagnosed of course there was a lot of concern and i know my mom did a ton of research on these on the burn pits and you know trying to figure out you know what the hell was going on because yeah. one of my my dad's co-workers was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia in the hospital room right across oh, the wow. hall. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're kidding. Gosh. Yeah, so it's it's not just, you know, my dad got the unlucky draw. It's I mean, it's it's happening to a lot right. of people. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of concern there, but 
I didn't really know about it till after my dad got diagnosed and we were just like, what the mm-hmm. fuck? Cause he was, you know, he was a pretty healthy dude. Yeah. So it, it was just, it took us all by surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like the medical practitioners that worked on, like worked with your dad or observed him and diagnosed him, were they the ones who pretty quickly were like, based on what you're describing, we suspect that it's correlated to burn pit exposure. Were they the ones who kind of like came to that conclusion or was it a combination of your mom doing research and then kind of like talking with the doctors? Oh, it was, it was within an hour of them diagnosing my dad. They were like, yeah, this is probably it. And it, I think the oncologists and all the doctors and everything probably knew about burn pits before because I mean, San Diego is a, I mean, it's a military town, right? So, so it's, it's highly unlikely that my dad was the first case of this in San Diego. It's possible that the doctors right. have already heard about it, had already suspected it, because, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a guy overseas getting leukemia. These doctors who go to school for 20-plus years, <laughs> you know, they can probably piece it together. Yeah, completely, completely. But what's even scarier to me, because I did not know, Brayden, that your dad wasn't you know in military service or anything like that he was just a, he was a civilian and that makes it even scarier because even if you are a veteran getting exposed to these toxic fumes you don't have protections like there are no presumptions so i had no idea which but it makes sense like now that you're speaking of it that there are also civilians that may have come in contact to these toxic fumes and there's absolutely no protections for them you know so how do you come home and like technically like if you're putting it in like very layman's terms, that's like workers comp, you know, like you're getting injured mm. on the job and you should get uh, benefits for that or get full medical coverage. I don't know if you're aware, Brayden, if your dad got medical coverage through his work for this, if they were able to correlate the two. I'm guessing not because that's very difficult to correlate cancer to these types of things. But um, that's that's really frightening. To, like how Not only do we need to do work for veterans, but also our civilians as well. Yeah, well, so I know that if if a veteran is affected by this, their families are compensated. Um, I say compensated, but like, you know, as much as the military yeah. can, right? I'm not sure if Northrop paid any of my father's hospital bills or anything like that. There is a big class action lawsuit against the companies such as Northrop and Orion and these companies that are sending these civilians to military bases in the Middle East because they are getting diagnosed with cancer, a lot of them. So I know that there is a class action lawsuit. At least there was in 2016 when my dad passed. So I guess there there is, you know, something going on out there. But I mean, yeah, for a civilian to, to get this and not have any right in this from their companies, it's sucks yeah last uh last episode i had made a comment about how uh some of the the most marginalized voices in this country are indigenous voices and veteran voices but Mm -hmm. when you first told me brayden when we had our you know talk prior to this recording um that your father was a civilian government contracted worker in my head i was like this is okay i feel that what i'm about to say will be (laughs) maybe offensive or controversial, but hear me out. 
when I first did the burn pits episode and research, I was angered because I was like, this is obviously not on our social interest radar in general for things to be upset about with the government. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was upset because I was like, how can we treat our veterans this way or expect them to protect our country and do the service for us? And then they get no presumptions coming back. But then when you told me about how Mm -hmm. your father was just a civilian, I'm like, it sounds so backwards, but I'm like, why isn't there more outrage? Why isn't this talked about this more? Because that's a, just a yeah. just a person who's just doing their job. But as a, that's the same as a veteran. They were just doing their job and didn't get protections. But it blows my mind that there's just not any national interest. It's growing, but right. I'm still flummoxed that I just learned about them this year, only a couple months ago. I know. Um, it's crazy no i was gonna say i really appreciate you know you guys for bringing this up and you know putting it on a platform you know regardless of size because like it is a big deal and i i also don't know why there's not a lot going on but there's only so much that you and i can do tonight that is going to fix us you know so it's, Mm -hmm. it's it's a bigger issue than than just talking about it but because it's a, yeah. such a big issue, there's not a lot that anybody can do. And I know that there is like some legislation going out about it. There, there are you know politicians who speak out against it, but it it's it takes time and it kind of makes me again. I always have to preface what I say, but I get sick. <laughs> not to be dramatic, <laughs> but like I get sick at this i idea that this needs to trend. Like, I hate that concept that, like, this yeah. needs to trend in order for it to get the recognition that it deserves. And it's crazy to me Absolutely. that some good legislation, as we mentioned, John Stewart and um, uh, mm-hmm. who's the senator from Mark Florida? Rubio. Marco Rubio and um, other Rubio. the other two senators. I know I only say Marco Rubio because that's the name <laughs> that stuck in my mind. They're doing yeah. some good promotion of this bill on Capitol Hill this mm-hmm. this past couple months in order to get presumptions for veterans, but our media doesn't find that interesting. Like it's not talked about only if you like Google search it, maybe there's like an article in the wall street journal about it or whatever, or Washington post. I feel like I don't see it as a ticker on mm-hmm. CNN or like mainstream media. And it bums me out because I'm like, that's a positive thing to talk about. But I feel yeah. like we're so stuck in just uh, talking about negative, but potentially useless stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, absolutely. I just, yeah. So, but that's what, that's right. Cause I was going to say, you know, people love talking about negative things. Like this is an extremely negative things, but it's not like, I don't know. It's not glamorously negative or however you want. Like it's you, like, we only want to talk about, as you said, useless negative information, but to quickly also go back to what you were saying about the veterans versus civilians uh, situation. I think what we were also talking about during the actual burn pits episode was uh, veterans. They part of their job is to sign up to potentially die for our country. Right. And that's why we give so much thanks to them. But part of it was also they did not sign up to die in this way. What also angers us even further, knowing that there are civilians who are also in this line of fire, so to speak, literally they did not sign up for this at all like they they didn't even sign up to die for a country in any way right so for them to also be put in this situation where no one is protecting them or they don't even know what they're getting into i i 
highly doubt your your dad, Brayden, knew what he was going to get into. He never knew that his tent was going to be just around the corner from this flaming pit of trash, right? Like, how would he ever know that? And he's just there trying to do his job. And he's probably breathing those in day in, in and day out. So actually, what I did want, want to talk about is maybe like the timeline, because I'm kind of doing the math in my head as you're speaking, Brayden. And this timeline looks really fast in the way that it progressed with your dad. So it looks like he went out to the Middle East starting in 2013, you said, or 2014. And then he got diagnosed in 2015 and passed away in 2016. Wow. That is very, very fast. That's that's pretty... I think that's the common commonality amongst these cases is that there are folks who are exposed to burn pits. They get a diagnosis. It's already critical... Um, when they find out stage yeah. four or what have you. I don't know if that was the case for mm-hmm. you, Brayden, and your father, if his diagnosis was immediately like, you're already this far along in this, um, you know, having this cancer, this leukemia. But then it's it's just so fast. It's caught too late. Yeah, so yeah. I know leukemia is one of those cancers that doesn't have stages. It's you have it or you don't. Because mm-hmm. it's cancer of the blood, yeah. it's, it's hard to gauge how severe it is. But it was cancer of the white blood. So any infection that he got, the white blood cells fight it. So it's kind of hard to fight mm-hmm. any infection when your white blood cells don't work. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was definitely, it's called acute myeloid leukemia. So it's a very aggressive form of leukemia. There was nine months mm-hmm. in between his diagnosis and his passing away. So, yeah. And, you know, in between those, there were multiple heart failures and chemo stays and Mm. a bone marrow transplant that failed so it's yeah so I mean it it was aggressive and we don't know when he first got cancer cells we we don't know that I know the the doctors were kind of expecting it be quite a while you know because he got in and, and they were like, yeah, we need to get chemo right away. Like there was no time to say like, okay, this was, you know, get your ducks in order because they should have been in order by then. Yeah, yeah it's hard to, to put an exact date on when it happened. But as soon as it did happen, the doctors were, were great and we were able to get chemo right away and the bone marrow transplant scheduled right away. And my dad had 300% donors. So, and that rarely ever happens wow. if you know anything about, about my yeah. transplant. So it, it all happened very quick. Wow. It's extremely difficult for your family yeah. to go through. As a 14-year-old, can I ask what you recall in terms of observing your mom go through this with you? My poor mother. If anybody's a hero, it's my mom, seriously. Yeah, so my brother was, oh, I was 14. He was like 19 or 20. So he's a college student, and I'm a freshman in high school. So my mom was all over the place already, right? right? And as soon as she got diagnosed, my mom works in the medical field. So she actually worked at the hospital my dad was taken to to get diagnosis oh, wow. and get chemo. So she knew all the doctors. Oh, my God, she kicked ass to get chemo to him in a week like amazing like I don't know if to get chemo you have to be put on a wait list and then you have to get accepted and it's the longest process and it's the most unnecessarily long process it is the 
stupidest fucking process. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's totally okay. no, please vent it out. <laughs> God, if there's somebody who has cancer and they need chemo, just fucking give it to mm. them. Anyway, <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> no, preach into the choir, believe me. <laughs> so my mom took him to the hospital after they went golfing. I was like, hey, here it is back. It's probably just like a strain. Mm. <clears throat> Can you yeah. like, check it? Because yeah. he's been losing weight a lot. You know, that's not good. So she took him to the hospital and I got home from school that day and my brother told me dad strained his back mm-hmm. and they were just, you know, mm-hmm. at the hospital. And about 8.30 we get a call and like I could tell my mom has been crying and she's like, hey, can you bring some clothes for us, please? Mm-hmm. So at that point I knew it was more than a strain. Mm-hmm. Possibly he broke it. Mm-hmm. I still had no yeah. idea what it was. So we get there and my you know, my mom like takes us through and I see a sign down the corridor we're walking down and it says oncology. Mm. And I don't know mm. much about medicine, but I know oncology is not a good word. Mm. Yeah. We're walking down there and she just breaks. We get to the door and she doesn't go in. She just breaks. Mm-hmm. So I was like, fuck, here we go. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. not going to be good. So that first night was like the longest night of my life. Just they said my dad had cancer. And mm-hmm. leukemia and acute myeloid leukemia, and they're throwing these big words at mm. me, and I don't know them. And so I'm asking, "What does this mean? What does this mean?" And yeah. I felt really dumb, and I felt like I was giving the doctors, like, you know, why does this kid keep asking me questions? Mm. But I needed to know as much as I could. And absolutely, when you're 14, you don't, you really should not be googling what acute myeloid leukemia is and mm. how long you have to live. I knew mm. way more about cancer than I wanted to mm. as a freshman. Right. Everything that could have gone wrong while my dad was in the hospital went wrong. <laughs> and and I, I mean that kind of in like a comedic way. Mm-hmm. Like we had like all of our family stay with us. And my mom was like cooking and going to the hospital and, you know, driving me to practice and going to the hospital. Oh, my gosh. And driving to school and oh going to the hospital. And after like, I don't know, a month or so, she went back to work. And it was nice because she worked right across the hall from my dad to, like, go work wow. on her lunch breaks, you know, spend time with my dad. So, yeah, I mean, it was – she was definitely tired, and I hated seeing my mom like that. Um, but, I mean, mm-hmm. she really did kick ass to provide for us. To kind of go into a comedic sense just for a second, mm-hmm. we had, like, all of our family stay with us in, like, our, our little condo. There's, like, eight people living with us. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so – our house was full and one night I had to wake up to go to work I'm sorry go to school and I woke up and I was walking towards my room from my mom's room and the floor is like soaking wet <laughs> the the toilet had like overflowed all night oh, no. oh, so, so the floor is soaking wet and I go downstairs into the living room and the ceiling is dripping so, oh God! Um, my mom, I just, I really don't know how she kept it all together through any of this. My mom is seriously a superhero. It was insane. Amazing. The amount of shit we had to go through. <laughs> you know, but that's we had a good support. What a year! Yeah. Your mom's fucking dope. And I'm sure once yeah, she saw she that freaking like, toilet water running through your ceiling, she's like, well, when it rains, it fucking pours, I guess. It pours. <laughs> That's exactly what she said. I mean. No way. She, yeah. So I saw, like, she, like, journaled all of this throughout, like, the whole time. Because 
at, at this point, actually, my dad was in his first heart failure. Um, so he was in a coma for 11 days. So for 11 wow. days, my father is completely knocked out. So she's journaling everything that she went through, everything that happened to him, to us, you know, just even like mundane shit. But I saw this journal a couple weeks ago and mm-hmm. on this day's entry, she literally said, when it rains, it pours. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Your mom should write a book. I'm like smiling. <laughs> yes. Honestly, she yes. should. Yes. I know she's been wanting yes. to, but she should. Yeah, definitely. Spread the word. That's another Damn, great way to just spread awareness. She's just dope as hell. That's amazing. Yeah. Moms are superheroes. Seriously. When you were visiting your dad or any chance that you had to visit your father, were there any moments where he was just like totally his normal self? And you know how I, okay, so I had listened to the Jon Stewart podcast where he interviewed Wesley Black, who also, this is a a correction to the previous burn pit episode. I said Wesley Black was like Mm -hmm. in his forties or something when he passed. He was not, I think he was 36 when he passed. Um, So, so that's a correction there. But I had listened to that episode where John Stewart's actually interviewing him. um, And he's in ICU as he's doing the interview. And he sounds incredibly weak. Like you can just tell this man because he ends up passing, like I think the weekend after that recording. But he had such an amazing sense of humor, too. And so I was just curious, Brayden, if, you know, when you got the chance to visit your father and if he was awake at the time, was, you know, just a little bit normal if if he could have that opportunity. Were there any moments where you were there and you're just like, this is just my normal dad and like, this is a nice, nice time, a nice memory? Yeah. You know, this actually may sound cheesy, but I mean, my dad was always himself because he was always fighting. Mm. That's what my dad always did. Like he always fought for for the best for us for the best for his family and so even when he was you know in his coma he was fighting mm-hmm. so he was my dad as he'd always been there were definitely times though where he was like awake like so okay going back to it really quick so yeah. that sunday was easter sunday mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i had a school field trip where i was going to the east coast so oh. So I was leaving Sunday for a week. I would be gone on the East Coast. And I really was like, you know, I'm going to stay here. I can't go, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like like I'll reimburse you, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was, you know, there's no way. My dad was like, no, no, go. Like, I'll I'll be perfectly fine. I mean, that was a fucking joke. eh? (laughs) I mean, my dad went into heart failure Monday. Anyway, um, the, the day we left was my dad's first day of chemo mm. and he said like okay you can eat anything you want so we got we we got <laughs> buffalo wings we got yes. orange soda we got cake candy and and <laughs> we were just watching hockey in, in his hospital yeah. room we're just eating buffalo wings and just you know being dudes with me and my brother right. and him and love it yeah so that was like a, a really nice thing because like we could have been doing that anywhere yeah. it was unfortunate yeah. it had to be in the hospital but yeah you know that was just us doing what we used to do and and love that you know my dad was like always a jokester and he would always like play jokes even after he woke up from 
his 11-day coma. You know, he, <laughs> he, he couldn't really talk or, or move much, but, like, mm-hmm. we had, like, a... I want to say, no, Ouija board, but we had like a board with like words on it. Yeah. And we were asking him questions. We were like, hey, do you want your mom? And he was like, hell no. (laughs) 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 And so, you know, it's just, it was really funny. And my dad was always, always himself, even throughout. So amazing. Yeah. We, we always tried to, to make, the best of it we always tried to mm-hmm. have fun you know we we knew the doctors really well we would do wheelchair races in the corridor oh, wow. awesome. yeah we really tried not to think about mm-hmm. what was happening and we were absolutely you know always having a good well trying to have a good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's incredible that's a huge testament to your family and in the hospital and the doctors yeah. there it yeah, really takes it a village, takes a village. <laughs> yeah oh it it really does we you know we were really close with a lot of doctors, you know, just like personally and like our yeah. neighbors were, were always like cooking for us and taking us to That's practice awesome. and whatnot. So, I mean, yeah, we we always had the best people around us. So it, it really did make it so, I don't want to say enjoyable, but it lessened the burden for a lot of it. So it, 100%. It was, yeah. it, was, it was really great to have the people we did have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you had said that you're mom did a lot of research on burn pits and i'm assuming that was during his hospital stay and after his death were you able to get a chance to talk to her at all about like your in terms of your mom's journey with understanding burn pits does she actively to this day kind of still look into it and see mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. happening out there in terms of people being protected against burn pits or any of that I know that she is in contact with a lot of my dad's like old coworkers just to make sure that, you know, they're okay mm-hmm. and oh. trying to see and like gauge where they are with that. She did actually reach out to the John Stewart. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to say John Oliver and I was like, No, <laughs> they're friends. <laughs> they're definitely friends. Okay. So I know she did reach out to John Stewart way back, you know, Amazing. maybe like yeah. a year or so after my dad mm-hmm. passed away and I don't think he ever got back to her on it but she was just like thanking him for like you know yeah. being a an advocate for it wow. as far as you know does she still research i'm not sure i want to say probably because she she was actually you know pretty big advocate mm-hmm. for not doing that yeah yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I, I i'm not sure okay. i know she did okay. a, a lot um after my dad's passing mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. trying to see what the the class action lawsuit was about. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you have any um, knowledge if she looked into that to a point where like you guys might be a part of that or you don't know? I know that we were a part of it. I'm not sure about any of that. Okay. Though. I kind of, yeah. you know, totally. I was a freshman in high school. I was, yeah. Totally. <laughs> you know, right. yeah, yeah. And I, I do hate saying that because it is a big part of my life and you know i should know what's going on with my family mm-hmm. and but you know when you're 14 you don't know anything about financials you don't know anything no. about yeah. health insurance life insurance shit right. like that so yeah it's a blur and it's also a very incredibly difficult time in your right. life that's you're probably don't want to revisit too yeah. often either i do like talking about it mm-hmm. because it, it does bring awareness to yeah burn pits and you know 
even if we don't even mention burn pits, mm -hmm. it's cancer research and sure. you know things like that. So I do like talking about it. No, I don't like thinking about right. it. But so after our burn pit recording, and then we did an episode after that. So I'm just putting out the timeline. Thanksgiving mm -hmm. had passed, and then Giving Tuesday came around. And what was day was that? Was that November 29th? Was it November 29th this year? I think so. November 30th. Whatever the 30th, Tuesday okay. was after Thanksgiving. But Giving Tuesday came around and Poison Pals, if you follow us on Instagram, we had posted some promotions of a nonprofit called Camp Kesem. And Brayden is the one who actually brought this forward to us to share this on our social media platform. Mm -hmm. And I actually, Brayden, I'm going to I'd like for you to fully explain what Camp Kesem is. I guess I guess let's start there. Brayden, can you tell us a little bit about Camp Kesem? And then I want to ask, what is your relationship like with having yourself go through the experience of dealing with a parent going through a cancer sickness and then working with these kids? What Kesem is, Kesem is a national organization, a national nonprofit that provides support to children who have been affected by a parent's cancer. Kesem Nationals, they do a lot of support for these kids year-round, you know, through and beyond parents' cancer, as they like to say. And it's just giving them, like, outlets and, and resources for them. But the biggest resource they give them is a, it's a free week-long summer camp to the family, rather. They don't have to worry about any cost of it, transportation, anything is, is covered by Kesem. And... Camp is completely college student run. So a lot of chapters, I'm sorry, a lot of colleges have chapters and I'm part of Camp Custom UCSD. You know, we support children in, you know, the San Diego area. And yeah, it's it's completely free and it's all funded by donations and, and fundraising from the counselors that are college students. So it's really an amazing organization. I'm so proud to be a part of it. I never went as a camper, though I, I had a friend who was a camper and she was telling me about it and saying that if I wanted to get involved in it, I could as a camper. And I, I never went, you know, I was 14 and I was just trying to get through high school and then get it over with. But as soon as I became like college age, I was like, you know, I need to be part of something and that's what I want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. So I, I reached out to Camp Custom UCSD and I'm not even a UCSD student. And they were like, yeah, absolutely, please, let's do it. So I became a counselor with them, and it's been great. I've only had camp online. I've never been able to go in person. Oh, okay. Yeah, these, these last two years, because of, of COVID, it's been online. Right. Late October, we had a in-person event, and it was amazing. It, yeah. it was seriously so cool. I, I loved it. But... Going back to your question about being relatable, having gone through this. In camp, there's there's one day where we actually like talk about cancer and talk about like our stories. The other days is just a place for them to be kids because, you know, when a parent gets diagnosed with cancer, it's hard to be a kid. You know, you have to miss soccer practice and it sucks. So camp is just a place for them to have fun, be kids, you know, play games, sing songs. But there's one day, and we call it empowerment. It is a beautiful thing when these kids are talking about their stories and they're getting emotional and their peers who are also, you know, eight years old. You know, we have yeah. six-year-olds and, and they're, they're talking about this cancer in such a mature way. Yeah. And 
they're supporting each other and it's it's just like a beautiful thing and it's it's kind of like we actually as adults we don't need to be there because they like facilitate themselves and they use each other for support but i mean yeah like when when they call on you tell your story and you you know tell them you know my dad was also sick and you know they talk to you and and they support you and you can support them and they trust you and it's nice you know it's it sucks that we share that bond but Mm -hmm. because we share that bond it's so much stronger so it's really a beautiful thing wow have you it's a beautiful organization have you ever had a a camper or parent of a camper who was like somehow their cancer was also related to military service or being a contracted worker overseas have you met someone with a similar situation as you in that in that regard no we don't really talk about like the diagnosis or anything like that we just say hey my dad had cancer got it i mean it's, it's possible right. that we have we i've just never met anybody or talked to anybody through custom right. at least that right. has right. had a similar story to yeah. mine yeah because at the end of the day it's it's not the cause it's what is happening sort of thing so Poison Pals, we still have the link in bio for Camp Kesem. Please take a look. I think it might be actually Brayden's fundraising link. Is that still live? Is that is that okay that we still have that up? Yeah, so that is good until like June. Fantastic. So, oh, great. Yeah, so that will just go straight to Kesem. All right, great. So yeah, we have Brayden's Camp Kesem fundraising link linked in our uh, bio on Instagram. But it can also mm-hmm. take you to, you know, uh, more about Camp Kesson page if you want to look into more of what they do or what they offer. So please, please go take a look. Let's see, anything else? I don't have anything yeah. else. I think that was a beautiful note to actually yeah. land on to close out the episode. And I just want to thank you, Brayden, for first coming on and speaking on this so transparently and in a very vulnerable sense, I think this will hopefully reach a lot of people who don't know about burn pits and hopefully your story gets shared many times over. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, again, I appreciate you guys for taking the initiative to, to research this and put this out on a platform. And it's a slow process, mm-hmm. but I'm happy, you know, it's being taken seriously. Yeah. So thank you. Absolutely. Again. So I think we can, do we want to do anecdotes or skip all of that because i would, would you like i to? would like to do anecdotes uh, like, don't skip excellent hey, I, excellent I hear your guys' anecdotes every week and there's like a small part of me that's like let me do yes, one yes <laughs> we don't have to we don't have to do the closing out because yeah. i feel like it's not applicable yeah, right now skip but the, let's do yeah. antidotes for sure uh brayden okay take it away yes, my good sir are you ready no, if you're not, not if you're not cool. ready we can we can start. Oh, oh sorry okay we thought you were so excited that you had something you wanted to share but we can definitely go first i'm just kidding yeah please, please. whatever you'd like if you'd like to go first take it away sure i'll, I'll go first <laughs> okay so i think it was and it's like anything from the past week right anything you'd like it could be the smallest thing it could be the biggest thing whatever you like okay so on Wednesday, I had a uh, Camp Kessel meeting, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. after the meeting, I was going to give my friend a, a ride home, and it was like 9 o'clock the meeting ended, so I gave her a ride home, and we both like didn't want to go home, mm-hmm. so we just went for a drive. <laughs> nice. you know, we oh, just, awesome. Right. We were just like, you know, we're in the car. Let's just go for a drive. 
Yeah. And yeah. just listening to music and talking about everything and nothing. Oh. And we didn't realize how late it was, but we finished driving at 4 a.m. What? <laughs> driving and talking till 4 a.m. And it, it was great. It was just like really nice to like talk about that and have the company. And, yeah. You know. And I'm pretty sure she's listening. So shout out to you, B. Hey. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Shout out. What's, say her name one more time. B? Oh, oh okay. So in, <laughs> sorry. Okay. So in Camp Kessel, we don't use our real names. Oh. We use fake, like, camp right. names, we call them. Mm-hmm. Kessel names. Mine is Barry. It's just like a name you give you give yourself. Hers is Bean. Bean. So sh- shout out to you, Bean. Bean. Oh, that's Bean. awesome. Bean. <laughs> That's so dope. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I I feel like the best conversations are in cars, whether you're driving or parked. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's true. I actually a good gal pal of mine, she sent me a meme and it was like the best combos are when you're eating food in your car with one good friend sort of thing. Right. And I'm like, yes. yes, that's so dope. That's true. I'm like, but also like up till 4 a.m. Do you guys drive to Bakersfield or something? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, you gotta have to get gas on the way. We did have to get gas. So uh, I was thinking about that. Like we were just like driving around in circles, really. Yeah. But I was thinking like, we honestly could have gone to LA. And yeah. <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> that would have been fun. Yeah. Next time, next time. You'd be like, you know what? Yeah, next time. Let's not keep driving up and down the the five within a 10-mile radius. I know. (laughs) Let's go somewhere. It was was that night where it was, like, super foggy. Yes. It was honestly, like, kind of dangerous. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) It was super fun. Man. Hey, but I love that because it's so spontaneous. That's what makes it the best. Like, your entire night was spontaneous, which is great. Love that. What a a great great I'm also kind of like, I'm, I'm... oddly jealous because i'm like why do do. i feel like i'm past the age like i can't do that anymore but but that's like the best thing that's like so fun okay (laughs) i know know. well i mean we can we can go for drives if you want let's go yeah we should go for a drive but after your 21st like we'll let you drink and then we'll We'll drive drive you around (laughs) oh talk about fun conversation right Uh, yeah all right well harini you want to go next okay (laughs) i don't have nearly as well i probably shouldn't say this this might be offensive to my my niece but (laughs) i was gonna say my intro was not nearly as good as Braden's. but i am uh my brother and my sister-in-law are here and my niece who's seven months old and she's just a bundle of joy she's like one of the happiest babies I haven't been around a lot of babies, to be honest, but (laughs) if I have to be around one, I want to be around her. Like, she is so funny and giggly and goofy. Like, she already has, like, a funny personality. And I take this as a compliment. My sister-in-law was like, you and her are, like, on the same level. Like, she views you as her friend. Like, she looks forward to hanging out with you. And I'm like, yeah, we have, like, the same interests and same humor. Like, we're both, like, lying on the ground, like, hanging out. I look forward to, like, hanging out with her in between my work breaks. So... Uh, it's just like nice. I have like another little friend who is definitely not in my age group whatsoever. <laughs> but you know, we're trying new things. <laughs> you and Aishu can go on long drives until 4am as well. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. She would just babble. We would not be speaking the same language, but we're gonna get somewhere. It'll be a great conversation. Um, so that's my antidote. I love that. I, I think out of all three of us, <laughs> this is me tooting our horns. But I think there's something... Um, I'm not using the words. I think there's something really special about people who can hang out with a child 
and find it as the most fun time, even if they're seven months old and can't even speak. Like, yeah, there's a there's a <laughs> yeah. there's a skill there. There's a skill set there. So, yeah, we mm-hmm. all we've yeah. all worked with children, Thank and you. Harini's working now yes. as an aunt. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, full time job. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, my antidote is that. Um, I just had a really nice weekend. I ended up taking Friday Friday off. I had a three-day weekend. (laughs) This is going to be kind of a a reversal of where you think I might be going with this. But Mm. my antidote is that even though I had Friday off, and that's like nice, like what a privilege, like how wonderful. I actually was so happy to come back to work because after Thanksgiving (laughs) and that long weekend and then having another back-to-back three-day weekend, I felt like, I guess I got bored. And I I think that's kind of a good thing for me to be like having a craving to go back to work. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, I don't consider myself someone who overworks themselves. Hell no. <laughs> I do the bare <laughs> minimum, but, but like it was nice to feel like, okay, I want my discipline, the discipline structure right. and the schedule back. So that was just something for myself. That, that's my antidote. <laughs> and that means you also liked your work. Like you like your work and you're happy there. And yeah. So that's also a really great thing to, to know about yourself. Yeah. That's, that's uh, great. Megan. <laughs> Thank you. All right, everybody. Brayden, it was absolutely wonderful having you on today. And thank you yes, so much for yes, sharing yes. your story. Um, we super appreciate it. Once again, the Camp Custom link is in our bio on Instagram. Please mm-hmm. go check it out and donate. Um, it's open until June. So, And we'll uh, also put in our show notes as well for mm-hmm. this episode. And hopefully some um, additional resources around burn pits. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. maybe we can get some resources around civilian exposure to burn pits, too. Because I think that'd be really helpful. Yeah. Would love to do that, too. Yeah. So perfect. Thank you so much, Poison Pals, for listening. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Ray, for coming on. And bye, Poison Pals. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye.